0: Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, the podcast where I talk to the people in comedy and ask what comedy means to them. You can read about all the many, many shows I've been to see from over 1200 comedians over the last 40 odd years, including photos and posters and what the comedians think of me, on my website, TheComedyNerd.com. I love talking to the people in comedy about comedy. If you like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest today is a writer, actor, podcaster and stand-up comedian, who together with his sister Olivia runs Catastrophe Cabaret in London, which combines comedy and live jazz, and was listed by Design My Night as one of the top comedy nights in London, while he himself has been described by comedian Jenny Claire as having obviously funny bones. It's stand-up comedian, Luke Nixon. Hey, Mark. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Looking good. Thank you. Thank you. You too. So we can just jump straight in if you're happy. Happy, happy. <laughs> so what's your earliest recollection then of comedy? How did it start for you? I always say I was forced
1: into comedy by my parents. You know, I really wanted to be an accountant. You know, that was that was <laughs> a big dream. You know, I come from a, a bit of a comedy background. My mum's an actor and she's been in um, quite a few comedy shows on, on and my dad is uh an ex-radio producer an mm-hmm. ex-radio comedy producer and i remember my first earliest memory of comedy really was watching like cartoons and and, and even scooby-doo and stuff you know yeah. and but the time <laughs> i did stand up for the first time was when i it was a local village talent show when, when my parents moved out, out of london and uh they put me in for that to do some stand-up. Yeah. And my mum was one of the judges um, <laughs> of the talent show. So so it was rigged and I still didn't win. <laughs> uh, so I, I did some stand-up and it was, I don't really know what I was doing really. It was like a kind of a special report with some like topical gags that I didn't really understand what I was doing. Mm. You know, I think my dad helped me make it of course and then I came off and I loved it I remember that first feeling of like getting some laughs and then my dad said to me you know what did you what did you think about that Luke and I said look we have got to sell out this village hall they're going to want to come back next week (laughs) (laughs) very very cocky eight-year-old uh but then you know I didn't do it again for a really long time so that was my first sort of earliest memory of kind of comedy and and stuff like that yeah
0: was it that incident or was there another a particular person or other um, occasions that really inspired you to take it up as a possible career option?
1: Um, I remember just being quite, a, quite, you know, as a teenager, you know, I was hanging out with some stand-ups last night at a gig and they were all talking about drinking in a field when they were younger and stuff like yeah. that. I didn't really do a lot of that because my uh, my mum's, uh, my stepdad moved in with my stepdad and he lived in on a lake in the middle of nowhere. So... <laughs> I was very much like a quite a lonely kid. You know, I was like <laughs> on YouTube quite a lot, listening to rap music, stand-up comedy, <laughs> trying to make my own rap mu- music on my mum's uh laptop on GarageBand. <laughs> you know, so I was always like I was always experimenting. Uh and I watched a lot of specials on YouTube and and stuff like um Omage I would always obsess about watching Omage Lily. Um I just thought he was fantastic and that that was someone I always looked up to in a, in a big way and thought, oh, I'd love to love to do even a 10th of what he does. Mm-hmm. And I've always found that particularly inspirational, but at school and I didn't really do a lot of sort of comedy or anything like that. Um, I was more into writing, writing plays. Yes. That was something I really enjoyed mm-hmm. um, trying to make theater really. Uh, but yeah, I, get, I guess when I did get into it, stand up was in, was in London really. Right. Um, I didn't have a lot didn't have a lot going on. I used to work for this production company and I had a really bad time there. Uh, I put on loads of weight. Oh, I don't know what happened. Just, just a really depressing time. I put on loads of weight, <laughs> drinking loads. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to work telling more. anymore. It was a bit of a toxic culture in the company as well. And I just thought I'll sack this off and go and work in a bar. So I was working in a bar <laughs> for ages and I kept meeting just extremely funny people. Yeah. People that would just, just make me cry with laughter, whether that be customers or people that I was working with. And I didn't have a lot going on. And I saw this Instagram advert for a six-week stand-up course uh, with Mike Gunn. Oh, yeah. Um, so he was hosting it. It was called Stand Up for Cancer, I think. And it was a free course in Bar Rumba in Piccadilly. And it was, I it, think it's an underage club uh, in the evenings, <laughs> I think. And you go in there and the place stinks of cat piss. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it reeks. So the first week, you know, Mike gets up. He, he doesn't look like he wants to be there <laughs> but you know that's his persona that's his vibe yeah. uh, on stage as well so there's about 60 of us in the first week and like there was no sort of like formal training other than everybody gets up and does a minute you know so everyone got up and by the end of the class people some people were walking out you know the next week mm. you know it's maybe half of the amount of people yeah. and then it whittled down to a few of us and I, I started doing open mic while I was doing that course and I just remember being like this is the best thing ever I think really the most fun yeah yeah
0: (laughs) are there people who were on the course that you still see performing
1: yeah yeah definitely I I still see um uh, Stephen Gage, who runs the, I'll give them a shout out, the the, the Palace panel show in Crystal Palace. That's a great little show um, that he started a couple of years ago. Uh, and I see Mary Martin as well, who, who's a really funny um, science-based comic. Uh, so we we started at the same time and we still see each other and keep in touch. All, all the other mm. people, really, I, I don't know if they still do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's only a few of us sort of carrying on but um yeah i'm actually a bit of a hack i've done two comedy courses mark it's bad isn't it it's really hacky it's hack on toast isn't it um it makes you a scholar that's
0: what it
1: is oh well i don't know about that yeah studious
0: Studious. maybe
1: studious maybe i'll take that that.
0: (laughs) so you said about doing open mics um while you weren't on the course obviously if you're doing the course and to some extent open mics as well you're in a uh, uh, a supportive atmosphere. What was it like doing a, a stand-up gig for the first time uh, w- without that that net, if you like, if you're going out on stage to a group of paying strangers for the first time?
1: Yeah, I mean, or, or not paying, or not paying. In some, some cases, <laughs> just a, just a yeah, you know, just a mic by a bar. That was very different. It was like it was like two worlds, really. You're in this sort of cocoon, thinking that you're absolutely killing it, and then you step into a you know smelly bar in Camden and. <laughs> there's a bloke who doesn't want to host the show and a barman that doesn't really think the idea works and you're up there talking about you know um your parents and and divorce and family and and silly little impressions of characters and mm. you know you realize that you've got to do more gigs <laughs> <And> that was <laughs> it was very you know it was very eye opening and uh yeah it was a it was a interesting like start into stand up i remember one gig i did in a uh, Layton, um in East London, I think. And, uh, I walked in and was really excited. I'd got my open mic in London and all this stuff. And I walked up the, the mic was like beside the bar where people were ordering drinks. Mm, yeah. So sort of half of the pub was sort of there for drinks and then maybe 10 <laughs> people were there for stand up. And I was sort of going up and they were like, Oh, you're first on. I remember like I couldn't hear myself because this guy was ordering six pints of Guinness really loudly. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I remember just being like, I have to give up at this point, but like I carried on and made it work <laughs> and involved him in the show. So that was my sort of experience at open mics quite early doors. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you enjoy the, the, uh, the improv aspect of getting people involved? Is that something that started early on?
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. That just does hit something different for me. i I'm like, I love them seeing and hosting. Mm. That's something that I've been doing a lot in the last year. Um, I MC with my gig catastrophe cabaret with my sister yeah um we've had some amazing headliners like Nick Helm uh Finn Taylor uh we've got um Sarah Keyworth coming up as well and and having like a crowd that's you want them ready for someone to come on mm. and and chatting to people understanding them i also MC regularly with Campbell comedy club uh every second and fourth wednesday of the month and i love I love just understanding what people's days are about, because you can sort of almost I've got to a point now, which I love doing. And and sometimes it doesn't work, but you can look at someone and understand what job they do and what kind of day they've had before you even say hello. Yeah. You know, there's always something quite telling about the eyes that I find, <laughs> you know, um, and, you, and, you can, and you can see it, you know, in comics as well. If a comic doesn't really want to be there, but it's going through the motions, you can see there's a kind of. Mm. Like flatness in the eyes, and they, they're just doing old material, but they're doing it because they want to keep the stage time up or something yeah. like that. So I feel like crowd work and someone heckling it really adds something to the gig. Yeah. You know, it does in a weird way. If you're doing new jokes and someone heckles, that's rubbish. Yeah. But yeah. You no, know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do love that aspect of it for sure. It's one of my favourite bits.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've talked to before about it's interesting you bring it up. I've talked to before to comics about when uh, the comic themselves is enjoying what they're doing on stage that the audience mm. can feel it and they can appreciate it and it helps them relax and enjoy more because you're having fun and the enjoyment is infectious almost do you see that on stage more when the Understood. comic is enjoying themselves or as opposed to not and do you have those days as well
1: yeah, I definitely have those days. I, th- I think every com- comedian does. I think actually you were at a gig where I was having one of those days um, <laughs> once, <laughs> and we had a chat afterwards. And I I remember just coming off being like, oh, what was that? And I just I just gone through the motions that day and been like, oh, I know this material works, and it, and for that night, it, I hadn't put the right energy into it, or I hadn't really sussed the room out properly. Um and I just came <laughs> off and felt I wasn't just going through the motions. Um, that was Hammersmith. Yeah, that was Hammersmith. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So if the I feel like if the comic's not really feeling the material, or really connecting with it, the audience can t- can tell. You know, they can. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes if you're relaxed and seem not bothered at all, then people can
0: find that appealing in its own way so there's no kind of rules i suppose really yeah do you have a a specific comedy style do you go up on stage thinking uh you know this is the person are you are you a character of yourself are you mindful of your of your of your role on stage in that way
1: it's an interesting question because i I feel like um i've tried to play around with styles and i think i'm still finding it but Mm. in many ways i tried at first to come out and be you know, like every young comic does, man who has something to say. And then I realized very quickly, that's not me. You know, I think, and I don't think really, you know, anyone cares about what I've got to say about a certain topics. So what I realized, what I am is, you know, a silly little guy who you probably want to have a drink with. And that's kind of like a lot of people after gigs say they feel like I'm their little brother or something like that. You know, it's that's, you know, I'm not a comic who's going to take on you know big issues around the world i'm probably going to tell you a few little cheeky stories and and, and a couple of gags really and i've realized that that is something after a few years now of doing this that people relate to more um i have these actually there's a really great comic um i respect called roman harris and he taught me this thing about uh business cards he was like if you want to build people who actually like you get some business cards stand outside the show and i saw him doing it and uh he literally you know people would follow him from that so i've started to do the same and then suddenly the other day uh two two people came to a show who i'd given these cards to and they said oh we saw you here tonight i thought this is just the most amazing thing but you (laughs) realize that you're you're trying to build your brand and what what do they see in you that they like what is it that they're it's a horrible thing to say build your brand but it's kind of true Mm -hmm. you're building your persona you're building yes and you know that that will come for me in time i'm sure but it's it's something i'm
0: still exploring yeah you know and Roman Harris, he's a classic example of that comic who is having fun. It, no one is yeah. happier on stage, I think, than Roman. He's, just, a, <laughs> he's <laughs> just the glee is written all over his face all the time. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. You and you, it's interesting there that you also you use the phrase uh, where people say that they see you like their little brother. And, of course, yeah. you are the little brother. So is this a subconscious yeah. thing that you are <laughs> being almost too honest on stage, that you're, you're fulfilling Make... your natural role, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Self-fulfilling destiny. Um
1: Yeah, I, I have an amazing relationship with my sister, Olivia Nixon. She is an absolute muppet, but she's one of the people that makes me laugh the most. And uh co-hosting with her at Catastrophe Cabaret is just her running me down on stage <laughs> and me <laughs> running her down. That is the show, basically. Yeah, uh, a
0: never-ending roast battle
1: it is basically but but almost the roads almost get too personal and too unique (laughs) it's like remember this year at Christmas when you and it's like no okay all right this is a show let's carry it on um so yeah I feel like that obviously she was a big part of my life and I think you know we've gone through a lot together in terms of you know both of our parents uh have had things go on and and that sort of thing and and it's been it's been an interesting little ride and we moved around a lot mm. both of us um from the countryside to the city to you know back again and i think that's that sort of connected us so maybe there is a little bit of uh you know my girlfriend says this to me as well like a lot of her her friends mates whether that be their boyfriends will send me mm. memes or like check in on me and <laughs> all this sort of thing it's like it's like i was almost assumed everyone has a sort of a caring role towards me you know it's, it's like, which I kind of like you know you see, it's a sweet position to be in you know um you know I think I've worked on this bit of uh trying to be dangerous you know so I say I could be dangerous I could be a dangerous guy if I wanted to be and I said that on stage on the night and someone that no you fucking can't <laughs> so, and it's true I think that's the I think that's the kind of thing is people don't think you know they, they view me as a, a little cousin or a little brother and I have a lot of cousins as well I've got stupid amount of cousins really um (laughs) and that's another thing i'm one of the youngest so that's maybe something that just sings out of me yeah
0: (laughs) you know so going back then uh you said about uh you were writing sort of plays um so what brought the change into from from that into stand-up specifically what made you concentrate on the one over the other um so i think
1: with with plays i was writing this play with a friend of mine at school um called james and it was about the lost village of Imber in the salisbury plain which is one of the last villages in the uk ghost villages um and it's about how the MID came in and and basically bought the village and removed all of these villages mm. um and one guy you know called alfred nash died on the death certificate it says died of a broken heart 10 days after he's removed the village and there was like these little stories that I loved, and mm. I wanted to tell people about these stories. But we wrote this play, took it to Edinburgh. Remember, I got, I got my first review was absolutely terrible for that show. It was <laughs> it was a one, it was a one star review in the Scotsman that said Nixon's acting and direction were as wooden as the crates that the actors were sat on, which, which was hard to take. That's one for the poster. Oh, 100 yep. percent, yeah, straight on. Yeah, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I think if I took all the reviews the Scotsman gave me, it would only sort of make two star. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> um I think I think I found the whole process I really loved it but what I found difficult was the lack of like immediacy with theatre unless it's a scratch night or something but what I loved about stand-up was when I was doing that open mic course I could write something in the morning and be saying it on stage that night and be like is this funny yes or no that's kind of like and I think you know everyone can have a tendency to be a bit chill and, and not get out there and put themselves out there as much as they can but that that just throwing a thought throwing it against the wall and that's what i love about stand-up it's so immediate you know something you say on the night you make up you're recording it you listen back mm. that's funny that becomes something
0: yeah. you know yeah so 2015 edinburgh Fringe then with your play uh, this was horrid
1: oh yeah wow yeah good, great research okay yeah i've been going to
0: edinburgh for a long time <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so that was with Olivia as well. yeah. That was, yeah, that was. I mean, you've talked about the play itself briefly, but what was your overall Edinburgh experience like? The first
1: one was a sponsored show I did in, in 2014. right? And that was interesting because we got that one-star review from the Scotsman. But by the end, we got a four-star review from Ed Fringe Review, which was like the best of fledgling British talent and... <laughs> problem with that quote is fledgling yeah. which means like a bird that is yet to fly the nest so i'd still have that quote if i could but you know i've now flown the nest i don't think everyone i live with my mum now so yeah um, yeah but you
0: just go the best of and then brackets and then talent
1: yeah that's a good point yeah <laughs> see if i'd known that seven years ago i would be really successful now <laughs> um yeah. so um that was that was a good show that was a a kind of like awakening into what awakening god that sounds really pretentious uh but that <laughs> was kind of like my first step into getting a review and then the next year was horrid's which is a kind of it was a kind of meta play with my sister a double act really about um she used to work uh we both do well we both did a lot of agency work where you like get hired for a day you did to spray perfume or to hand out <laughs> samples um and mm. she used to work for harrods and basically we wrote that play about her experiences in the perfume shop uh, department. Oh, and yeah. uh, it was very fun. And the play sort of breaks down. It's a play within a play. We actually got my dad involved in it as well. Um, he was <laughs> ridiculously uh, funny. Um, and he, he came in and it was strange. Some days doing the Free Fringe, it was behind the big John Lewis in Edinburgh um, in a Catholic church hall. I remember we got taken in there and and the the Catholic sort of, the head guy there, I want to say the Reverend, but that's probably not right. He was called Monsignor Burke. And
0: he he came in and
1: said, you know, welcome to my venue. No swearing is allowed. Um, (laughs) Otherwise we'll get rid of your show. I mean, this was just a church hall, no lighting, no stage curtains or anything. So I love that show probably the most because we did it for the whole month. Um, Mm. And it was like every day, you know, livy would have chips and gravy and you know but i'd have a deep fried pizza it was really like <laughs> you know and beers and like we just had too much fun i think and now it, you know doing out of now it's very different but it was uh
0: yeah really fun time yeah <laughs> did you or do you uh when you're out and about when you're performing when you're emceeing do you enjoy watching other comedians i really do actually i i sometimes um you know, I'm in a really
1: nice position at the moment where people put me to close open mics and that is such an interesting place because a lot of comics who are the same kind of um, experience as me just turn up at the end and, and and do their bit and go, which is totally, totally fine. You know, I understand that and yeah. if they're doubling up or whatever, but I like watching younger acts because you can see, you know, where you were or sometimes, to be honest, where they're ahead of you and 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 it's even like, some younger acts are so good but they don't have the confidence to push themselves out there um Mm -hmm. and that's what i've realized so they stay doing the five minute bringer spots they stay you know stay in that position for for longer than they should so i do really enjoy watching things because i like i like seeing new takes on stuff and um sometimes not new takes i mean some some of it is dreadful (laughs) (laughs) like it was like i was when i started out so you know but some of it is absolutely amazing and that's, i do like seeing acts for sure and i love seeing emceeing as well and seeing different styles of that that's something i love
0: yeah. yeah talking about new acts starting out how do you feel about things like competitions be it um like gong shows which you've won or things like uh competitions like West End, New act leicester square uh yeah where you yourself have been a finalist how do you feel about those competitions in terms of the development of new talent um I feel like I'm terrible at gong shows. Uh, I I
1: really I get anxious. I start sweating. Sometimes I try to do crowd work in a gong show, which is so ridiculously not good. Uh, yeah, I just feel like I I competition is is important. I think I, I'm okay in the competition, and I feel like um, they sort of they they add to your CV. Don't, do you know what I mean? I mean hmm. I, that catastrophe cabaret. I was talking to one headliner who said, don't worry about the competitions. They don't mean anything. And I mm. said, Oh, what do you mean? And he sort of pointed to 10 years ago when he was in a final and none of those acts in the final are still going and he's still going and you go, that is pretty, mm. that's a good point. Do you know, what? it's just about, yeah. you know, how long you can do it for and how much you can put, put into it. But I think it's good to have on your, on your poster and stuff like that as, as sort of, um, sneaky as that sounds, um, you know, it, <laughs> it looks it looks good for an audience member to go. Oh, do you know what? He must or she or they must be all right because they've gone to these finals or whatever. But I mean, it, it's just luck. It's just in the night. I mean, I was mm-hmm. lucky enough to MC the quarterfinals of the Leicester Square New Comedian um, competition this year, and I mean, mm-hmm. it, honestly, about six of them could have gone through. It was so good. Um, yeah. I mean, I looked at some of the people that were in my heat when I went through last year and i i don't know how i got through i, I honestly to this day look they're all fantastic acts um hmm. so yeah it's it's about luck but it's i do think competitions are important but gong shows i think they make you a certain style of comic they make you probably very good at writing one liners and very good at sort of sharp comedy so they're good for that right. but in terms of developing that into a longer set you know if you're doing your 15s or 20s um you can do one liners and i think some people were very successful at that but it doesn't sometimes help develop persona as much as, I think, a longer period would, you know, Yeah. Um,
0: or emceeing does, for example. Hmm. When you're watching another comic, are you seeing it from a professional mindset? Um, are you able to sit there and hear the jokes and laugh? Or do you sit there in silence and go, mm, yeah, that's an, in- that's an interesting bit? I wouldn't have done it or, that way. Or do you analyze?
1: Yeah, this is so <laughs> so funny because my dad is someone who is that second person, right? Where I'll tell him a joke I'm working on, you know, mm. and he'll just go, mm, "Okay, that's funny." Yeah, or or or, or, <laughs> or or he'll sort of say, "No, that one's not for me." And he go, "Well, okay, all right, that's fine." But he he he's a uh, you know having having worked in radio comedy, he has that sort of brain where he's analyzing it, mm. you know. Whereas I I was a fan. Of stand-up before i was you know a comedian and mm. and so i i love it i go and watch my favorite stand ups. i i belly laugh and i also think it's important to be supportive facing the crowd you know even when if i've got a mate who's up there in a really special show and they're absolutely tanking it i'm still <laughs> i'm still giggling away i'm you know just as i hope they do the same for me you know mm. so it's i i yeah i'm the first person i think i hope yeah <laughs>
0: do you get nerves before you go on stage i do yeah, yeah. i do
1: um i used to do shadow boxing yeah. is, <laughs> i mean my first open mic was tnt comedy you know in uh, kentish town mm-hmm. um and i remember a comic called gary walsh was the mc that night yeah and I was shadow boxing against myself at the end of this corridor. And I think he saw me and he just burst out laughing. <laughs> and I realized like, I just, I just get, I get quite anxious. I'm quite an anxious guy naturally. So I think that, um, yeah, I hyped myself up too much um, before the gig, but now I've got to a stage, you do it so much. I mean, I've done, since I've started comedy, I've done about four or five gigs nearly every week mm. and I, I've not counted. I stopped counting after sort of 300 gigs and I thought it's whatever it is now. Do you know what I mean? I just, yeah. it's now a lifestyle really. Mm. Gosh, it's very cliched that, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that is, you know, sound like David Brent. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it, but it does, it does become a sort of, you know, see, go and do a gig, meet up with some stand ups, and then try and have a bit of a social life after that, if you can fit it in around work and stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, that is, um, the adjustment i guess
0: yeah yeah so let's talk then about lockdown so there's no mm. no live comedy yeah so how was it what was your experience how did that go for you uh
1: i so i just really started comedy just as the lockdown hit yeah. I, I you know just started gigging regularly and then it just went to nothing so i wasn't like losing years and years of experience um okay. but i i I think I went a bit, I think everyone went a bit nuts in lockdown. I remember, I think I, I shaved my head in lockdown. <laughs> I uh, got into running. I, you know, I was living in Tottenham at the time with my cousins and uh, I tried to do Zoom gigs, mm-hmm. but I just sucked on Zoom gigs. I, I, remember, I remember signing up for <laughs> something called Global Comedy and I, because of the name, I thought, oh, brilliant, there'll be audiences, you know, <laughs> for Global Comedy and I <laughs> I, to apply for the gig you've got to put in your bio and I put in my full comedy cv and had because I'd worked in in tv and and, and podcasting mm. I, I put that cv in and as I turned up it was five comedians on zoom yeah and uh two audience members who had their camera and mics off yeah and I they asked me to open the show and um they read out my full sort of <laughs> production credits and then I came out and did sort of like 10 minutes of absolute silence to like five comics and two faceless audience members. And I just vowed that I would never do another zoom gig ever again. Um, but yeah, it, that was rubbish, but I wrote a lot in lockdown. I don't know what I was writing about, but I just tried to write a lot. And I did this challenge where you write, you wake up and just write whatever's on your mind on the page. Mm. So I did that for, for, for a few months and then, did the 10 joke a day challenge um which was you know a lot people say like you write 10 jokes a day that's 70 a week that's x amount a month one of them will be funny i yeah. promise you almost none of them were funny <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know i mean i read some of them back now and they're just depressing yeah. uh so yeah i still try and do that actually try and write 10 jokes and they're a lot better than they were then mm. uh but yeah that was what lockdown was like for me.
0: yeah yeah so you mentioned there obviously about being in radio and podcast production. You had podcasts of your of your own, yeah. Your, your sister, of course, has done Mother Daughter Manual, and you had yes. Uh, Are you feeling funny? This mm. is a great podcast, which is still available, and people thank should you. listen to it. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I at uni I was head of radio. Mm. Uh, I was basically
1: bullshit boy at uni. You know, I was <laughs> I was really. I would go into a local business and say, "Look, we've got this local radio station that gets." you know this amount of listeners and i'd print out the google analytics and show them mm. and it wasn't many listeners but they were like if you've got listeners you can come in and have a meal and do a review of the food and that was something i used to love doing uh and probably my journey to becoming chubby was that i used to go out and you no know, i, I, I I used to go out and like take a mic with me and 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 a little handheld thing and and start recording like a podcast about the food while I was having it. The atmosphere, I mean, it was absolute drivel. But like, if people would listen to it. I did a, I did a what it was called the uh, Was On Show um, with my mate because he's called Alan Neve. He's from Cornwall. He's a really funny bloke, and he couldn't say what's on, so we called it Was On, and uh, it was the <laughs> arts based review show. And, uh we'd go to theater and all that sort of stuff so that that was my early experience of podcasting and radio mm. and we got nominated for a couple of student radio awards which was lovely and then I had some mics after uni that I don't know just to be honest with you just took from the university and uh <laughs> I, uh I, I I held on to and um my dad basically you know was in a situation where he was he was approached by this doctor and Arnold Brown um who yeah. you might know sort of uh, Glaswegian
0: godfather of alternative comedy yeah and it's amazing I saw him once um supporting Stephen Wright I think it was oh really yeah he's phenomenal. Yeah, he, yeah he's an incredible
1: man and uh you know someone I I sort of learned about through my dad and and really respected and then he said do you want to make some podcasts with me and I I was working in a pub at the time and I said yeah sure like, I'm up for it <laughs> like so we recorded the episodes in Harley street, but you're not allowed to record in Harley street. So the doctor would pick us up at the door mm. and we'd sneak in microphones in our bags and we'd have to be under the guys that we were doing group therapy. <laughs> Me, my dad and and, and Arnold Brown and, and Brian kind of, I think that was the kind of guys I'm not quite sure, but we'd go up and, and how we got the comedians in was amazing really, because Arnold Brown carries such weight and respect in the industry that he'd reach out to people and, I do a lot of chasing of of agents and um sort of obviously name check Arnold and say look this is Arnold's show he came up with it mm. we're just the people recording it so I'd have two mics you know mix it on garage band yeah. my friend Alex um Alex Hollingsworth, who's a great uh producer as well now but at the time we were just both ex like students trying to trying to make it work trying to list, trying to listen to these comics and mm. you know I look back at that and Stuart Lee did it Phil Wang did it Jamali Malik's did it. Zoe Lyons did it. Shapirat Kassandi did it. You know, all these incredible comics did it because of Arnold and I got to listen to them and mm. understand where their heads were. And, you know, Sindhu V's episode is the one I'm most proud of. Um, she talks about growing up in, you know, her mum had a rehabilitation clinic and yeah. that's where she lived growing up. You know, it's the stories like that. And you realize these comics are amazing. Um, mm. So that was an early experience. And distributing that podcast it got thousands of thousands of downloads with no marketing at all we didn't put a penny behind it because we didn't have any money to you know i was working in a pub um you know my dad's a lecturer in comedy you know that that was it and i just knew i loved it um And it was all made on my laptop. I couldn't get my head around the fact that we were putting this stuff out there and people were listening to it and it wasn't going through a production company. It wasn't going through a commissioner. It was just the media. And I love that immediacy about podcasting. Yeah. Um, but then when I produced the mother daughter manual with my sister and my mum that was a, just a wild <laughs> wild ride. I mean they very really they, they, they you know I say I'm a feminist uh, but not by choice. I've just been dominated by women my whole <laughs> life, you know. So you know so I I realized that they were very much uh, Olivia and, and Felicity, my mum. They were very much like we we've got an idea of what we want to do with the episode. They would shape it. Um I would come in and record it, you know, mix it, edit it. Mm. and it, that was such a fun show to make um and weirdly you know didn't have as many listeners as are you feeling funny but still gets messages asking if there's another series coming back you know people will email yeah. in and stuff like that and i don't really believe in paying for views and stuff like that i feel like if there's an audience there they'll find it do you know what i mean yeah. um so yeah they they're still out there so i don't know if that you know living for this and this want to do another series but you know it, it could be something good maybe yeah
0: is that the sorts of shows like that that you you want to do or that you've thought about and you haven't yet managed to yeah, so, production? Yes
1: so I'm going to do my own podcast mm-hmm. um
0: you should be a guest 100%
1: I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to do I think it's going to be called um Nighttime with naughty Nixon I think that's the <laughs> Hello what kind the, of show is this <laughs> Yeah well are you it's, yeah, so I think I think that's a that's the working title. It's a terrible working title, but that that is what it is. Uh yeah, and I just realized I've, I've produced so many podcasts now. I've done mm. it um was lucky enough, you know, in my recent job I was a full time podcast producer, you know, for a business show. And I I know how to make this stuff now and I know um sort of how to build brand loyalty and all that sort of thing, which is a terrible corpy thing to say, but it's true, you know, <laughs> you 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 learn how to make a good production or something that And I I think the one thing I learned is just the authenticity factor is that if you feel like someone's kind of saying things to get views or saying or trying to be outrageous, whatever, it's just not going to, people aren't going to want to hear that. Genuine interviews, genuine chats are the things that do well, I think, you know. Yeah.
0: Between podcasting and uh, playwriting and performing stand up and emceeing, where do you find you fit the most? What do you'd rather do? Oh, That's a great question. Uh, I think
1: I pro- probably um, I love MCing. That's mm. where I feel I have a lot of fun. Like I, And I feel like you have to have fun when you're performing. So yeah. I find sometimes the longer sets that I do the, t- the 20 minute sets quite challenging and I'm really hard on myself if I don't get the laughs that I want. And I've, I've been working really hard not to punish myself so much because <laughs> I come away from a gig and for days I sort of you know I'll listen to it back and like think oh if I'd only just done this and that and I've realized you know actually a good a good story about this is when I did a my like comedy hero is is Nick Helm Mm. and I just think his energy uh and his persona is like nothing else I've ever seen yeah it's like a hurricane yeah and I remember you know watching him my first ever pro gig was for Quip Shed Comedy um and Nick was the headliner and and I remember coming off stage and he was there and, uh, you know, applauding. It was very sweet. And I just thought that was the most incredible thing mm. ever, you know, and I did a year on, or maybe a year and a half on, um, we were booked on the same lineup and I was doing 15 minutes. Yeah. and It was a paid 15 minutes. And then Nick was headlining. And I saw him and I went on stage. And I just died. I just absolutely <laughs> died. I died so hard. I don't know what happened. I just sort of, you know and then actually i do know what happened now looking back I've, I've watched it and i just disengaged with the audience and i stuck to my set in my head and thought i'm not moving away from this right. when really when things aren't working you kind of need to explore why mm. um i remember leaving the gig and, and nick was, was nice to me and then i walked to the station it was um thames Ditton, i think mm-hmm. uh, and it was no one else on the platform i looked and there was nick he was the only other guy on the station. We got chatting and um, he was so inspirational and so kind of um, kind and and gave me this advice, which I always kind of treasure about, you know, when things aren't going well on stage Mm. and what you need to do and and tips. And I just thought, you know, we're both going back towards London. So it's like a 20 minute journey. You spent the whole time. Giving advice and, and 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 being kind, and that's the sort of changing point for me is when I started to enjoy comedy again and not worry about if I was going to bomb and start going out and being like, this is it, this is the experience. Yeah. Let's try and have a nice time. If we don't, doesn't matter, you know. And that's when it switched to me. I, I stopped taking everything so personally, mm. um, and so now I can do five gigs a week, four gigs a week you know, and if, and if three of them are bad, it, do, it literally doesn't matter. Cause I've got, you know, two more coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was when I started to enjoy comedy more. And I think hosting is something I really love doing and think it will always do. Um, But I know to keep sharp, to keep, you know, being a better comic, I have to work towards uh, the 20 minutes and, and, you know, even longer now, I, I mean, I would love to do an hour debut at Edinburgh at some point. So mm. That's
0: that's always looming in the horizon, in the scary <laughs> horizon. Yeah. When you're doing your your writing, you're writing your hundreds of jokes and looking for the the one funny one. <laughs> Are you mindful of of your Edinburgh hour as a as a target that you're constantly working towards, or is it just like a, an abstract, distant mirage kind of thing? Uh,
1: at the uh, the second one at the moment, it's a distant mirage. I mean, I'm I'm kind of um writing jokes to just try and see if they're funny at the moment, but I think. A lot of Edinburgh shows I see need need a theme or need a link, or and and sometimes with one liners they jump around so much that mm. you kind of, you know. And I'm not really a one liner guy, so that's why I do it to try and be better at it. Um, so, you know, that yeah, the second one it's kind of looming in the background, and I think if I can just tie going to the barber shop to shopping in Tesco's, then I'm there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, uh, that at the moment is looming. It's not you know at the forefront yeah
0: so what then so far have been your best and worst experiences in comedy
1: (laughs) um (laughs) I know what was bad I think one of the best one of the worst we'll start with the worst Mm -hmm. um one of the worst was I think I was I was booked to play a festival in Kent and it was a Kent food festival I remember arriving and my face is literally in the corner of the poster, like in the very, very corner. <laughs> and they were like, you know, Luke Nixon comedy, 15 minutes in the comedy tent. Mm. And so I, I I, tried to get into the festival, but they wouldn't let me in. The security guards said I wasn't, I didn't have a ticket. I wasn't coming in. I literally pointed at the poster. <laughs> Problem was I'd used an old headshot and I'd put on a lot of weight since then. So he <laughs> <laughs> didn't believe me. <laughs> so I had to call the sort of booker who came around and got me in and then she went, oh, have a wander around. You're not on for another couple of hours. So I had a wander on. And then I um, I went to the big tent. And I was like, wow, there's like 200 people here. Like, I guess, like gathered around this big tent. I thought this is going to be one of the best gigs ever. Mm. I'm going to really enjoy this. And uh I went to try and get into the sort of artist bit. And I said my name. And they went, oh, no, you're not, you're not in this tent. You're in the comedy tent. I said, where's that? They went, the other side at the park. So I, I sort of leg it now. Cause I've, I've, I've faffed and wasted so much time. And uh, I go into the other artist section and it's like one of the hottest days of the year in this tiny smelly tent. Um, and I'm sat around <laughs> with all these bands and uh, they're like, Luke Nixon. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. And uh, they're like, okay, you're on in 10. I went on in 10. And, like, and they said, yeah, yeah. I look out and there's a heavy metal band thrashing, screaming, <laughs> like makeup like going for it to they're doing this to no one there's no audience there at all (laughs) and uh i've got to go out and follow that the 15 minutes so yeah there's no mc or whatever there's just a person on on the speaker and then the the band sort of finish and finish their set early and they go and now I'm doing some stand-up comedy it's luke nixon and i came out and w- I had to start my set while the band were de-rigging. So they were taking their electric guitars out, picking up their drum sets. I thought, this is just terrible. I mean, how am I, you know, I got through it. And uh, unfortunately, they that footage is somewhere. Um, I mean, I, I dread to think what it's like. I mean, I did another gig to three people once, a German family, and that's probably the lowest point. I remember they didn't get anything I said for, for, for 10 minutes. Then I said to them afterwards, you know i said, I said what did you think he said no we we understood but <laughs> what is the joke <laughs> i was like that's damning yep. <laughs> uh, proper damning um probably more, yeah
0: i've um uh, i've played those i've been in those situations yeah I've, I've, you know what it's I've like been, I've, i was in a band one time and um i've played a the sutton environmental fair and played to an empty tent in fact it was worse than empty some comics have said oh uh, and one comic once told me that um one of their audience members full-on went to sleep while they were on stage <laughs> and i was like i could beat that because i've had people come into where i was playing to go to sleep so
1: <laughs> i mean that is bad i mean it's like it's like being mugged right i mean i heard it's of... <laughs> my friend he he told me that he was going off going down the train he, he lives in oxford and he came down off the train he, he was standing on the platform to get on a connecting train. This big bloke saw him, got off the train, mugged him, then got back on the train and carried <laughs> on his journey. Oh, and Jesus. I was thinking, can you look that muggable and that <laughs> pathetic that you that you get mugged just by, you know, on a connecting train? Uh, so yeah, that, that's a low point for him. Um, but yeah, what a but, great anecdote. Great, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but best gig, I probably probably this just because it's recent i mean i did a split with my uh great friend blank peng who's a wonderful comedian um we did a 30 minute split bill in the two north down um and there was about 30 people there and it was just just one of those ones where you i've never done that much time on stage um and, I, and we had jake Jacob o'brien murphy who's uh the mc and he was just fantastic he was um he set the room really warm and then we did it. And I just felt like really comfortable for the first time in a long time. Mm. um You know, I think obviously playing Leicester square theater was probably the highlight of, of what I've done so far and being in that space, it was amazing. You know, there was, mm. there was a lot of people there. I didn't get it right in the final. Unfortunately, I felt like I, you know, I had my leg in a moon boot because I had an operation about a year ago, a double rupture on my ankle. Mm. Um, I got that by playing five aside, but I drank five pints before I played five <laughs> aside, and now I, you know, and then now I can't run properly. So that that is teaches me a lesson. Uh, but yeah, I just think I found the Leicester Square thing quite overwhelming. I was, you know, I was on one leg with a crutch, and I just I think I just let the kind of occasion get to me a little bit, and I would play mm-hmm. it very differently now um, than I would back then, but. It was still like something I'm really proud of to be able to do and and kind of, you know, tick off in a way. Yeah, for sure.
0: So aside from not drinking and playing football, what are (laughs) the other lessons or that you've learned or philosophies that you've developed so far? Definitely.
1: the Actually, just like carrying on the not drinking thing. I I don't really drink that much anymore. Um, Mm. I used to have a pint pretty much after every gig just to catch up with comedians when I have started out. And then I realized yeah. if you're doing that like five times a week, you know, or even three, three times a week, you can't do it. You literally can't just sink five pints, you know, um a week and, and do the do the, you know, if you have to do a day job, you know, do that as well. Hmm. I just got to a point, you know, I did Cyber October and um had some more time off. And I realized like I'm only really drinking now on very special occasions just to keep my energy up. You know, because if you are MCing or you're doing twenty minutes, you've got to kind of be there a hundred percent. And if you're hungover or yeah. whatever, you sometimes you know can't be. Having said that, some of my best gigs have been hungover. I mean, you know, <laughs> in, my, in my sort of second year of comedy, I remember opening up for, in a club, and the MC mentioned that the the uh, the MC who was supposed to be there hadn't turned up and uh, i had literally just been sick in the loo and they asked me to do an extra five minutes on top uh and it was one of the best gigs i've ever done and just (laughs) you know so that didn't make sense but that but that's not something i could do for very long so yeah just one of the things i've learned um recorded a podcast with james gill of always be comedy Mm. um and he he's um quite open about the fact that he doesn't drink because one of his inspirations said about you have to be sharp to to do this and um i found that really interesting and that stuck with me but i don't believe in like totally not drinking but i think you know cutting back and just doing you know special occasions and also if you you know obviously want to whatever but yeah just trying to keep a good schedule trying to book in a certain amount of gigs every week and trying to do something new at least one of those gigs because If you're not if you're doing the same thing every time, then you're not really developing, I think. Mm. Unless you're doing it for a competition or a gong show and you want that type five. If you so always having something in mind, then alternatively from that, just having a really good time you know just going up there messing about (laughs) enjoying it you know that that's one thing is I've got enjoyment back in my comedy and that's something Mm -hmm. I really love doing you know and I felt like that was gone for a good sort of you know nearly a year of just not really loving it just finding it quite difficult Mm -hmm. not, not understanding why I wasn't playing the places I wanted to play and then suddenly I realized like you know it's about the energy that you bring and I switched that up and have much more sort of enjoyed wherever i am playing if that's a smelly basement somewhere or, or if that's a gig to you know 100 people it's i'm i'm gonna be the same i'm gonna be the same person for both do you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah do you have specific targets or like uh, an objective of a venue that you want to play or a bill that you want to be on i think to be honest i
1: I used to care about venues and, and clubs and stuff but mm. i realized like i've done a few clubs where i've gone in and had an amazing open spot or five minutes and then and then not heard back and I watched the footage back and got an email from the booking manager and then I go what happened and then then that's when I used to take things more personally and be like oh maybe maybe it's this and then you go actually no it's just because they've got a busy schedule you're one of Mm. thousands of people that's all it is that you know you realize actually you're not that important you know you just (laughs) you're just someone uh and so then I just started to just get on better bills which was lovely you know being on the same bills as some of the people i used to watch on on tv was amazing and you know i i started to realize that it doesn't matter the venue because new venues pop up all the time you know there are some mics that last a year but during that year they have at least fifty to more people a show and you can try out your jokes in there and then suddenly you're doing a gig in a you know in a leisure center to to you know however many people and it, and it and it really doesn't matter where you're playing so i think what the thing i have in mind is just i'm doing an hour you know mm. doing that i'd like to do that in a few years i think possibly by 2025 if i yeah now now i can speak to myself from the past and say <laughs> luke 2025 um but yeah i'm definitely doing half an hour at edinburgh at 2024 mm. um split bill and and hopefully a compilation show as well uh just to just to step back into edinburgh again because i've had a had a year off edinburgh cuz i've done it a lot and uh spent
0: money that i don't have really that mm. <laughs> that's the truth <laughs> <You know? laughs> look how can we find out about you and where to come and see you perform uh
1: you can check me out at Comedy everywhere on your socials everywhere i mean email um, <laughs> you know uh you know tiktok um i've got com. Uh, which is which is which is live and uh, check out Cambwell Comedy Club and uh, the Catastrophe Cabaret as well. Thanks so much.
0: So finally, then, how would you, Luke Nixon, sum up comedy in a nutshell?
1: <laughs> oh, yes, comedy. How would I sell it in a in a nutshell? Um, they say that about movies, don't they? If you can't sell the movie in one line, then it's not worth selling. That's what they always say. Uh, I would say comedy in a nutshell i would say it's it's mad it's hard but it's always worth it yeah yep. that's what i'd say about it it's mad it's hard but it's always worth it you know that's what my sex life <laughs> <laughs> crazy mark crazy mark as he's hey, known in the industry yeah <laughs>
0: yeah fantastic luke thank you so much it's been absolutely fantastic talking with you appreciate it
1: thank you that was great mate thank you for that that was really fun